Good Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to a special Wednesday mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, for all of your AC and heating and air needs, you need to check out Blue Water Climate Control. Whatever repair you need, they're going to do it the right way the first time with guys who know what they're doing. They're not going to upsell you on something that you don't need, but they're going to take care of whatever you do need to get you back cool in the house during these hot summer months. So be sure and give them a call if you have any issues at all at 865-299-2290 or check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com they offer a variety of services but anybody who's dealing with air conditioning issues in this heat you need to give them a call immediately and they get somebody out there to take care of whatever need you have as i mentioned it's a special edition of the mailbag podcast this week and special uh contributors this week we've got austin price the regular standby stalwart of the mailbag podcast and the ballquest.com podcast and also joined by ben mckee and eric kane guys glad to have you along with us plenty to get to in this podcast so let's jump right into it question number one out of the gate which true freshman will have the best season this fall and who would you bet and would you bet on having the best career or finish to their career at ut austin price to start with you what do you got brother well, I'll go with Jalen Wright. Um, you know, as far as newcomers, you could say Anderson Kobe, but I think running by Jalen Wright, who was here in the spring, makes a ton of sense for a potential guy to have uh, the best season. Um, I, I know, Brent, you specifically have one that may end up having a really, really good career, uh, and, I, and I don't disagree with you in the least. But as far as this year, I will go Jalen Wright overall. That's just too hard to tell. I mean, they're just now getting here. I mean, there's been plenty of guys that have come through here that I would have said were going to be great. They ended up being just okay. And guys that I thought were going to be okay that turned out to be really good players. Yeah, I like Miles Campbell for a long-term career at Tennessee. I like what he did in the spring. It's only one small sample size. Uh, but he seems to have the ability to play all the positions at tight end. Um, he can flex out, he can play in line, he can play some H back for you, but you never know how his body is going to adjust and change over the time of his career. So he would be on my list for a long-term guy. And I think he can help him some this year, but I think he would be a long-time guy. Ben and Eric, what do you guys got? Who do you, who do you think? Yeah, for this year, I'm, I'm with AP. I go Jalen Wright for, for this particular season. I thought he had a really nice spring and uh, it's kind of a hodgepodge at the running back rotation right now. Didn't really get to see Tyon Evans, so who knows how he slates in once he gets healthy. Um, but Tyon Evans really impressed and was probably, at least in my eyes, the most impressive back uh, behind Jabari Small this spring. So I, I think Jalen Wright uh, will be at least in the three deep. Uh, maybe he works in, himself into the two deep if, if Tyon Evans comes along too slowly once fall camp starts. But long term, in terms of who will have the best career, I, I think it's going to be William Parker Griffin. The, the offensive lineman from Percombe there in the mid-state, a, a guy that Nick Saban really wanted. And he kind of reminds me of Ramon Foster coming out of high school, just an underrated offensive lineman, uh, a nasty offensive lineman, uh, probably an interior guy. I guess that hasn't technically been uh, officially decided. But uh, I think William Parker Griffin, just his nastiness, his his work ethic, uh, I think it's going to gonna play well for him. And I think he's going to have a great career. Wow, that's a good one. I hadn't thought about that. I'll give you props for the comparison to Ripley's own Ramon Foster out of that. Eric, it's really interesting when you look at this. You, you look at the true freshman and you kind of don't know because you know these guys weren't really recruited by Josh Heifel. Then you look at the transfers and you look at some of the JUCO stuff that, that Tennessee's got done. If you're throwing those guys into the mix, who do you, who do you have for this year 
Who do you have long term, Eric? Yeah, this year, I think right out of the gate, Byron Young is a guy that was so very impressive during spring. He drew praise from Rodney Gardner, from Tim Banks, from Cade Mays, Cooper Mays, Jerome Carbon. It seems like everybody continued to talk about what Byron Young did this spring, his explosion off the line of scrimmage, his moves, being able to line up in different types of spots. So uh, this year, I think Byron Young can play a big impact. And, uh, you know, uh, over the course of his career at Tennessee, I, I like Anderson Kobe as well. You know, AP mentioned him a little earlier. Uh a little slow out of the gate this spring, but I think he can line up in different spots. He's got good speed. He's got some good hands. And I think that in this offense, uh, a guy like Anderson Kobe could really flourish. So uh, those two guys, you know, this year, more Byron Young this year and Kobe long-term. All right, let's go to recruiting next uh, with a question. AP, would the Vols possibly take four wide receivers in this class? Looks like there's still a good bit of talent considering Tennessee at that position. Uh, do, do you think Tennessee would go four wide receivers? We've talked about three, three, but there are a bunch of names on the board. Could Tennessee go four there? Yeah, I think they could. Um, you know, uh, with, with Squirrel White doing something coming up on Thursday and Tennessee sitting pretty there, um, it'd be, you know, if they don't take four, then that means one of the kids that are in-state kids, you know, isn't coming if they if they all wanted to come. So I, I think if they, if they want in, they would take them. Um, you know, I just think that that makes too much sense. They, they've got to, if you can't have the whole, you know, Tennessee takeover stuff and then, you know, choose to take, you know, and part of it's, you know, self-inflicted part of it, not, but only take, you know, three, four kids in state, you know, I mean, so, I mean, I think, you know, take as many kids as you can get in state and most of these are receivers. Yeah. Isaiah Horton, obviously. Um, I think the Caden Pope situation is a little bit interesting because he's talking about taking a visit in the fall. And I would have said back in the spring that, that he would have been off the board in August. I, I, I'm a little bit surprised kind of where he's at talking about taking, taking some, you know, visit, maybe that Auburn visit there. Uh, and then obviously you got Cam Miller as well. So um, I, yeah, I mean, you're, if you're going to take the interstate guys, then, then, and you're taking squirrel white, then Tennessee needs to take, you know, up, up to four receivers in this class. And um, so we, we will see what happens first with Squirrel White talking, you know, coming down on Thursday, and, and then we'll see kind of where it goes um, from, from there for sure. Uh, moving on, the consensus seems to be that – oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one here. Is there any chance that the Vols get off easier than otherwise would have due to the NCAA being uncertain of its legal status after the Supreme Court case, meaning – you know, name, image, likeness. This is something that's kind of been talked about brewing out there a little bit. I don't know that it's been a ton, but it, it is an interesting scenario, Ben, when you when you look at this uh, from the standpoint of, you know, does Tennessee go as aggressive with a self-imposed penalty? Are they less with their self-imposed penalty um, because of, you know, a lot of things are going to penalize themselves for are now legal, you know, potentially. So do you sit here and say, Hey, maybe we don't do the bowl ban. Um, and maybe it's a, some scholarships here or there. I think that it is, it's unknown if Tennessee's stance on how, um, how significant their self-imposed punishment is going to be. And, and would you change it based on what, where the NCAA seems to be right now with a lack of, of teeth? I mean, um, is anybody coming after, um, you know, LSU now is the Louisville stuff ever going to get resolved? Is Arizona ever going with with the changing rules with the NCAA and them seemingly losing some power? So I, 
I think it's an, an kind of an interesting spot that that Danny White and Chancellor Plowman are in in terms of how they're going to do they shift sort of the direction this investigation has gone in terms of how um, aggressive they are with the NCAA. I think they should try. Uh, I think they should try uh, at all costs to deflect from what was going on or what was found. Uh, I'll be curious to see if, if they can, because uh, it seems as if what Tennessee got in trouble for doesn't necessarily necessarily fall under the NIL umbrella so to where guys were making money you know, off of their name, image, and likeness. Uh, it, it seems like uh, Tennessee's issues that got them in trouble uh, were in other areas that, again, in my opinion, I'll be curious to hear what Eric thinks, but did not fall under the umbrella of the uh, name, image, and likeness that is going on. So I think they should absolutely try. It doesn't hurt to try. I mean, at this point, what does Tennessee have to lose? Um, but I, I just think with with everything that's, um, the, the NCAA appears to have uncovered or even what Tennessee uncovered to the point to where they felt it was necessary to, to fire a head coach and what was it, nine assistants and, and several uh, recruiting staff members. Uh, it, it seems to me like that was a level of sloppiness that wasn't just under the name, image, and likeness umbrella. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with Ben. I think the majority of what ten, Tennessee already kind of I mean, self-imposed that did this investigation that fired its whole staff. It's already been more than willing to work with the NCAA. Now, are you hoping that the NCAA will be more lenient because of all that? Maybe so, but it looks like Tennessee's already self-imposed a lot of stuff, in my opinion. But uh, I'm with Ben. I think a lot of it is more recruiting violations that doesn't necessarily revolve around, not a little bit maybe, but not everything around the name, image, and likeness. So I'm not really sure how much the two might be correlated, to be honest. But also Tennessee is going to self-impose one year, Brent. Like, it, and if they self-impose anything more than that, then that's just dumb. Like, I mean, you, 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 you're going to self-impose less. Hope the NCAA is, is just like, yeah, that's fine. Let's go. Let's keep <laughs> just, just keep, keep the wheels turning, you know, keep the lights on. Well, um, yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a good point because I mean, for years, here's the deal. I mean, for, for you were trying to balance the, the don't, you know, don't completely crucify yourself, but impose enough to where the NCAA says, Hey, we're done. We're not going to come look anymore, but the NCAA has been through this thing the whole time, Austin. Uh, so do you have to worry about, okay, if we, if we don't self-impose enough, now they're going to suddenly open this investigation up and turn it into something else. I mean, can the NCAA, I mean, do they have enough people to even come out and really investigate anything at this point in time? So I, I don't know that you have to worry about that balance as much as you once did. And, and that's why I'll be curious to see what Tennessee does self-impose whenever they get to that point uh, and, and they do elect to, to, to self-impose, which I think is going to happen in the next, you know, eight weeks. I think you're going to know something on that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's kind of the direction things are going. So um, every, every How much school, juice Brent, does the NCAA have, you know? Every school has Tennessee pegged for two, three, four years, and they want it to be that because that's what they've told every recruit out there. And it doesn't matter if you're at the lowest levels of a group of five or at the major power five. Anybody you talk to that's not at Tennessee says the same jargon. Oh, they're going to get hammered. Oh, if they get hammered, then something's wildly wrong 
with with all of this. Yep. You know, because of the fact that, you know, all these other schools aren't I mean, like if I was Tennessee, I would self impose the bare minimum and we'll take this. We'll see you guys next time and, and move on and, and dare them to do anything because I just don't think they would. All right, let's move on to the next question here. The consensus seems to be that Tennessee will score a lot more points by going fast, aside from the fact that uh, that has not always been true for Heupel against better defenses. The best offenses in the SEC, such as Alabama and Ole Miss last year and LSU in 2019, were more scheme and talent than fast. Fast was only used occasionally. I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, other than we have more offensive talent and we will run more plays, why the confidence that the fast means success? Um, well, I mean, I think the fast means success because that's where college football's at, Eric. I mean, that's how that's how the game is played. And uh, Ole Miss didn't occasionally go fast. Ole Miss went fast. Yeah, you know, they went fast the whole time, and that's you know that that doesn't mean Tennessee's going to be able to line up and and do thing everything against Alabama that that Ole Miss did. I mean, a lot of it. I mean, it was schemed. There's no question. You know, that's why. Lane Kiffin's thought to be, you know, what he is. Joe Brady's obviously where he's at in the NFL now because of what he did at LSU. Uh, we, we know Alabama's coordinators that have come through there. But defensive coordinators, a defensive-minded league doesn't like to go fast. And a lot of guys in this league are trying to go fast to cause problems to those defensive-minded head coaches. Jeremy Pruitt hated teams that went fast. That's the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's something you it's something you have to prepare for. You don't see this. Yeah, there might be two teams in the league doing this, Ole Miss and Tennessee. Um, LSU did it a little bit, you know, a couple of years ago. But you don't see this week in and week out. And so you have to take extra time to prepare. Um, and there's going to be a scheme behind it. There always is and, and certain personnel packages and all that and how you could run certain things with the same people on the field and vice versa. So uh, for a defense, it's awful when you get up there and run the ball, you're snapping it every, every 15 to 20 seconds. Now there will be some three and outs that will take a minute five off the clock. And that's just kind of part of this offense. So it's not always going to be roses The Tennessee has some talent on the offensive end to where I think that it can give yourself some chances uh, not only to score points, but uh, to kind of control the game a little bit because your defense is going to need all the help it can get. But as a defender, it, it's something that it's more that you have to prepare for more than the quarterback, more than the running back and the, and the, and the two wide receivers and all that type of stuff. It's just another added pressure, as you mentioned, uh, for this defensive-minded league because you don't, you don't see it every week. The, well, the one thing that I think, you know, when, when looking at these other teams, is they have, I mean, like, you know, Matt Corral's a playmaker. He's, yeah. you know, he, he made them you – know, I know they were 500 team last year, but – the reason they were exciting on offense is because of the plays he made. So, like, you know, can Tennessee find a quarterback that can be a playmaker, whether that's Harrison Bailey or Joe Milton or Hendon Hooker or whoever, can they figure out the quarterback position? That, it, all of it is semantics until they figure out the quarterback. You're 100% <laughs> like, right. Agree with that. Yeah. You're 100% right. You can go fast. You can go slow. You can go backwards, forwards, or sideways. It doesn't matter if your quarterback play is not good enough. And if you haven't learned that over the last couple of years watching Tennessee football, then you just haven't been watching Tennessee football because uh, that's the bottom line. Nobody at any level of football is winning without quality quarterback play. They're, they're just not. Nobody is, nobody is, you know, surprising or upsetting people with, with, with average quarterback play. It just doesn't happen. Um, all right, on to the next one. How does the staff look at recruiting rankings and stars? To me, it seems like Kiffin and Butch really kept up with them. 
It seems like Pruitt didn't pay much attention to them, as you would see him take three stars, usually from Alabama or Georgia, over four stars from Tennessee and other states. Would you agree with those statements? Heupel is offering a lot of 5.63 stars. Is this more of a sign of struggling in recruiting or trusting their evaluations? Do you think we'll see a lot of dramatic changes in the rivals' rankings after these summer camps? I don't think you'll see a ton of huge jumps and swings in the rival rankings after the summer camps because they saw most of these kids throughout the spring and early part of summer um, with the rivals camp series. So I don't think you're going to see major swings there. So I'll take that one. Austin, what, what do you say about uh, kind of Heupel's recruiting, you know, right now? And I, I would agree that Jeremy Pruitt didn't, didn't pursue some guys in Tennessee, particularly early on. I, I don't think he believed as much in, in some of the, some of the prospects in the state of Tennessee versus some prospects in other states because of what he felt like the overall competition level of high school football was. That's my belief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, like, you know, this staff is running a little bit of those as well. I mean, they, again, couldn't figure out whether they want to go all in or all out on, you know, um, you know, Jalen Lewis and Anthony Brown, they kind of had their, their feet in the pool, but that was about it, you know, and then there are other guys that, you know, just had were moved on by the time they got hired or didn't give them really any kind of, you know, as much as they tried, they didn't get them, never got down on Hayden to campus, you know, then, you know, there's a group of guys in the mid state that never made it to campus, you know, whether it's Fisher Anderson or Diarco Perkins or Barry on Brown, you know, uh, they never made it here uh, in the whole month of June. So, um, you know, where's that lie? I mean, I know Tennessee, you know, sure tried you know um and so you know i, I don't know i mean like I, I think right now that tennessee's just recruiting you know the kids they can recruit and the ones they have an in on like an addison nichols or a cam miller they got to land those kids but right now they're recruiting a different level of kid because they are getting hammered out there nobody wants to listen to that but i talk to kids and and it's 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 not surprising at all that something you hear on a common theme whether it's JUCO kids, high school kids, is all these schools are just hammering Tennessee's out, you know, penalties. And Tennessee can't definitively say that those schools are wrong because they have nothing yet. So, um, you know, for me, uh, I just think it's just, you know, it's evaluations. Tennessee's not just taking kids to take kids or offering kids to offer kids. They offer the kids the best available. And, you know, I think that's kind of like, especially like look at corner, like they've had four or five come off the board that Tennessee just didn't get, you know, so they're going to have to reevaluate when they get, you know, you know, when they get back to, to work here in a couple of weeks coming off vacation, as far as like kind of what direction they want to go with that position. All right. With this supposedly being a big month for commitments, when does the real movement start for Tennessee? I, I don't know, Austin, that, I mean, we've talked about this. I didn't expect a ton of commits in the month of June for Tennessee for, for the very reasons you just said. I think Tennessee was trying to stay in the game with some kids with visits in the month of June. Uh, I think they were trying to get the attention of some kids in, in the month of June um, and, and get face to face with them. But I, I did not expect Tennessee to have some huge run in the month of June in, in terms of commitments. I don't think they'll have a huge run this summer. They may have a couple more commits, but I don't think there's going to be one of those, you know, hey, they get six guys in seven days type deals. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't see that coming. No, I think they can get three to four more by the time high school football starts in, in August 20th. You know, I, I think that, you know, and, and, you know, potentially, 
you know, you know, you look at Cam Miller. I think he does something in the month of July. Isaiah Horton's going to do something before his senior year starts, and 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 so is Addison Nichols. Now, those are the three I've, I've outlined that I think are the keys to the class. You know, if you don't get, you know, one or two of them, I think it's a huge blow. And if you get all three, I think it's a, a huge step in the right direction and changes the out, you know, kind of the outline of the class. And then if you go win a few football games and and show you're competitive in the games you do lose and and score some points and get a little excitement going, who knows what happens? You know, uh, again, to the, to, it's like kind of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. For Tennessee, they needed, you know, the season to get here, you know, to help get recruits, but they also need to get a few recruits before the season got here. So, um, you know, for me, you know, I, I look at, you know, the next six weeks, and I think you're going to see a bunch of kids come off the board, not just for Tennessee, across college football. Because I think a lot of kids are kind of reevaluating where they are, coming off of that whirlwind June, and, they're, and a lot of kids want to do something and have their spot reserved before their senior year starts. All right, so, like, a, all of July and middle of August. All right, as a follow-up to that, assuming the NCAA stuff is resolved by the end of 2021, what can this year's team realistically do to ensure that the Ty Simpsons and Wade Twins and future classes don't go elsewhere? Pull a major upset, beat Bama, Georgia, Florida, or play Georgia, Bama, Florida close, throw it all over the yard, score a ton of points, or should we just accept the fact that the SEC is too competitive for us to consistently be in the top 75 percentile on a consistent basis? All right, Eric, what, what does Tennessee got to do? I mean, I mean, I mean, let's let's, let's break it down. I mean, I, I think we all agree they got to win, but but is it about how you win? Is it about playing people close? Is it about relationships, or is it a combination of a whole bunch of things that that? Tennessee's got to do to establish themselves better in the recruiting trails. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little um, all the above first and foremost, the first thing that jumped out to me is stop getting blown out. I mean, you're losing games by 24 points or more, um, you know, against of course your big rivals in Florida, Georgia's the Alabama's, but uh, there's some other teams in the sec that that's, that's got to stop. You want to be, you want to have an exciting brand of football. We talk about this offense and, high up tang running a lot of running a lot of plays scoring a lot of points that's great and all but also on defense you need to you might give up some points you know Brian I've heard you say this a couple times but you know can can you bow your back and and have a big third down stop can you stop them in the red zone force field goals um just stay competitive in, in that regard and have an exciting brand of football um and offensively that should not be hard to do considering where quarterback play has been the offense overall scoring 21 points and a half per game last year it really shouldn't be that that hard to improve. Now, you know how much improvement is. How's that going to stack up against the rest of the SEC? You probably need. It's probably a two year plan, but uh, nonetheless, I think it's a little bit of that. And then, of course, the ongoing relationships, which I do think, and everybody I've talked to and prospects I've talked to, you know, this staff's done a really nice job building those relationships, holding conversations outside of just football and just the normal recruiting pitch. Really getting to know the player, the family, stuff like that. So I would think it's it's a little bit of, of all of the above. Of course. If you pull off an upset against Georgia, Florida, Alabama, that's going to help. But I just – I don't know if that will be the case here this coming fall. Hey, Ben, let me ask you this. With name image likeness coming down the pike the way it is, does that make in-state recruiting easier for, for teams? Because it's easier to get a deal if you're an in-state player than, than say, you go and be a, a guy who travels a 1,000 miles from home or, or you go – two states over, three states over. I mean, I guess my point is if, if you're from middle Tennessee and you come play at Tennessee, is it easier for you to get deals back home with name image likeness 
because you're still staying in your state where you're a, 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 a statewide brand at a place that's a statewide brand as opposed to, hey, I'm going to Florida and I want to endorse a product as a Florida player back in my hometown in a, you know, a state of a rival SEC school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also depends on the school because you take a school like Vanderbilt and if I'm a business there in Nashville and I'm pointing out Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt likes to, to sell its city because Nashville, obviously a, a great city. That's a big selling point for Vanderbilt. But if I'm a business owner in the city of Nashville, I mean, outside of your, your Kyle Shermers, I mean, your, your Jordan Rogers, your Jordan Matthews, I mean, outside of a, a handful, I would rather have a Tennessee football player advertising my product because the, the power T uh, is is more sought after statewide. It it sells more even in Nashville, even despite another SEC school being in that city. Uh, Tennessee is such a, a big brand that it carries its own weight throughout the entire state. And I think that could even apply uh, to, to the city of Memphis. Uh, I know Memphis is quite a ways away from Knoxville. There's so many SEC schools that are closer to Memphis than than Tennessee. And maybe the, the conversation becomes more interesting when you talk about Memphis basketball players. And sure, Memphis football has had quite the, the, the players the last couple of years, Riley Ferguson, several NFL backs in the league now. But even if I'm a, a business owner in the state of Memphis, I mean, there's still power tees everywhere. And I think I would rather have a Jawan Jennings or a Josh Dobbs, a Jalen Hurd prior to him leaving, and Alvin Kamara, a, a big-time player on Tennessee's roster, or Derek Barnett. I'd rather have those guys advertise for me than, than, a, than a Memphis player, than, than a Vanderbilt player in Nashville, because I think the Power T brand is, is so big and so powerful. So uh, to kind of tie it into recruiting, I, I do think a team like Tennessee that, that seems so far behind from – from the big schools and the SEC, I think it can make up ground because of the NIL uh, and a school like Tennessee has so many resources and, and so many branches that it can extend to outside of the state of Tennessee, the North Alabama, the Atlanta area, the Carolinas, uh, all throughout the United States. I mean, there's opportunities for, for Tennessee athletes. And I think that can help Josh Heupel and, and this staff uh, maybe play some catch up in recruiting. I just wonder, Eric, if, if that's not going to be a huge selling pitch for so many schools w within state kids. It's just saying, look, I mean, yeah, you've got, you got, okay, you, our facilities are same. All right, may, you know, they've been a little bit more successful. But if you stay in your state, you're going to be able to make X amount of more dollars in, in terms of your name, image, likeness, because it's going to be easier for you to broker deals within your state than it is going to be for you to broker a deal um, in the, in the town you go to or to try to use where you're at to broker a deal back to your hometown. I mean, especially early on too. I mean, you've got, you know, freshman and sophomore right now, you know, going to going to the university of Tennessee and if they're in States, just using the power of social media. I mean, that's an easy way to make some money by doing, doing some Twitter ads or posting, uh, posting a story on your Instagram and all that type of stuff. I think early on, without a doubt, if you're an in-state prospect, especially here in Tennessee, because again, like Ben pointed out, the the brand and the fan base and, and just how there, there's so much support, it'd be 
really interesting to see if you, you know, how much you can make early on in your career. And of course that would grow. And by the time you are a three, you know, four year player at Tennessee and, you know, potentially you're an all SEC top player and NFL draft prospect, it would grow potentially to a national brand or regional brand. I think it'd be really easily. And I think it, it is a recruiting pitch now for especially in-state talent to consider the university of Tennessee, maybe even more because of what you could potentially make right out of the gates and send back home to mom and dad, or, you know, put it, put in a separate account for your future, whatever the case may be, because I've kind of gauged some of the prices for uh, some of what we're talking about right now. And these guys can, can certainly be making some money right now, uh, just stepping foot on campus for, you know, maybe not even being there a year. Yeah. Well, I I, I look at it this way is like, you know, a guy like Isaiah Horton, Isaiah Horton goes to Miami or Florida. Now I get it. Miami's got this guy that's giving everybody six thousand dollars. I would say you're going to see a lot of that across college football with your big corporations that are affiliated with schools. Anyway, um, I just you know I would say that Isaiah Horton individually can make more money at at Tennessee being a mid-state kid than he ever could at Miami and or Florida or wherever else. Yeah, he's like the perfect example for me right now. Yep, I agree with that. All right, quick fire, rapid fire things. Better NBA player, Keon Johnson or Jaden Springer? Keon Johnson. Keon. Keon. I yep. say Keon. I agree with that one. Better chance of winning a championship in the next five years, Rick Barnes or Tony Vitello? Tony Vitello. Barnes. Actually, I'm going to change. I'm going to go Barnes because, um, you know, I, I just think that ultimately – you know, Vitello, you know, may not be here long. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in just a second. I, I, I think basketball in general is, is yeah. easier because I think the road to get just to get to Omaha is more difficult. You got to, you know, you win 20, 22 games, you're in the NCAA tournament. Then you got to be hot for, for a couple of weeks. You got to, you got to win six in baseball. Um, I, I think it's a harder road. As we saw this year, you can be the hottest team one weekend and then, bam! You know, pitching goes goes away, and then all of a sudden you're 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 in a bad spot there. So I think in a lot of ways, winning you got to be a little more fortunate, probably in in basketball. But I think you got to be more that. consistent in baseball all the way through. All right, let's get to the Vitello thing because this question is on here, uh, and this one has been for you, um, and and as for me as well. To go in depth on this Tony Vitello Danny White contract that seems to be about facilities and staff money. Here's where I am. I, I think it's going to get done. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I, I think that you got some people on vacation. I think they've just kind of said, Hey, we'll figure it out, you know, later this month. I don't think it's at some huge standoff where people aren't talking to each other, all that. One of the interesting things in facilities, and, and I know Tony Vitello has wanted to go fast. I've said this multiple times, Ben, you can't, you can't put the bulldozer in there tomorrow. This thing with a public university has got to go through the state building commission. They don't even meet again till July 22nd. You, you can't even think about getting approval for any kind of funding talk until then. So you can't write it in your contract on July 6th. I don't think until you get through what you're going to do or what you're going to ask for approval with the build, you know, state building code, are you going to have a bond issue? There's a lot of things from a bureaucratic government stuff that's involved in the facilities part of it. That's why I don't know, Ben, if the contract you're going to see is going to have a ton of specifics about facilities in the Tony Vitello contract. That's where I'm at. You take it away. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, and as I alluded to 
on Monday night in the chat. I mean, there has been frustration on on each side, and I think that's where the Tennessee frustration comes from. That that maybe there wasn't the the requisite patience there, uh, because as you just detailed, you do have to go through so many hoops in order to to get a bulldozer just in the stadium confines to to start work. Uh, but also on the flip side, and to your point about uh, maybe not a ton of details uh, with the stadium, I think that is also frustrating for, for Tony Vitello's camp because, um, you know, this is his, what, third athletic director, uh, yes. I, I believe. This, this, this isn't the first AD that he's had conversations with in regards to stadium renovations and what could be done to the stadium. So uh, I think Tony Vitella would, would like a detailed layout of what is to come to have in writing. Uh, I, I don't know how that is, is supposed to be made possible. Obviously I don't write contracts for a living, um, but I, I do think that Tony Vitella would, would like to have that written out, especially after uh, there was a, a big article in the local paper about with quotes from the AD and, and the chancellor about committing and, and being prepared to commit uh, a lot of money to the baseball program. Uh, and, and now it's kind of time to, to, to go all in and iron out those kinks. And uh, maybe there's been a, a toe dipped in the water here or there. So um, I, I do think, again, like you said, it, it'll get worked out. Um, but in trying to give some insight as to why it went from, okay, deal's about to be done the weekend after they lose in Omaha to a week of really no updates and, and still trying to, to iron out some, some kinks in the details. That's where maybe a little bit of frustration has come from each side and why it has uh, slowed down to, at times it's felt like a snail's pace. Uh, but again, it's going to get worked out. It's, it's down to details within stadium renovations and uh, staff money, and it's going to get worked out. Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yep, I think it will be done sooner rather than later, but not as soon as anybody wanted it done, and that's generally how these things go. Uh, when you're trying to get as many details as, as, and as much things as you're trying to get done in this contract. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts in there, and those parts will get moving again once everybody comes back off of the vacation trail here after the, the holiday weekend. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com mailbag podcast. Be sure and check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. And thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. We'll be back to the regular podcast schedule starting uh, next week. Be back to two a week, but just the one this week because of some travel things and stuff like that. But uh, we'll be back on the regular schedule next week. But for uh, Ben McKee and Eric Kane and Austin Price and Brent Hubs, thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, everybody, and we will talk to you next week on the podcast.